Hi, I'm Dr. Gemma Newman, also known as the Plant Power Doctor, and I'm your host for the Wellness Edit podcast with Holland and Barrett. In this episode, I am really happy to be joined by Madeline Olivia. Now, Madeline is a sustainability blogger. She is a YouTuber. She's an author, and she champions low impact and minimalist living. She has over half a million subscribers on YouTube and nearly a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. And I was actually really surprised that I had only just recently discovered her work because her recipes are absolutely delicious. And I feel as though we probably have a lot of values and interests in common. So I'm really excited to share time and space with Madeline today. Welcome, Madeline. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah, I was looking at some of your delicious recipes. My mouth was watering. Um, (laughs) So I'm really excited to actually talk to you today and find out more about why you're so passionate about this topic. So thank Mm -hmm. you so much. So I thought I would actually get started by sharing perhaps a little bit more about your story, because my understanding is that a few years ago, you had a bit of an epiphany and you just decided that you were going to completely changed course in the way that your life was going. You took a really brave step. You quit your job, you quit your flat, you moved back in with your parents, I believe, and you started to follow your heart. So I would really love to hear a little bit more about that so that our listeners can get a feel for who you are and why you began on this journey. Post-university, I did have a bit of a difficult time trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I think lots of us experienced that and was really unhappy in my job. So I made the sort of nerve wracking decision to quit. I moved back home into my parents and I actually managed to help out a little bit with my mum with her job. And I started making YouTube videos just as a hobby. It was just a little bit of fun. I'd always watched YouTube growing up and was obsessed with it. And it was always a bit too scared to make videos. But I think that that was kind of an opportunity for me to start doing it as a bit of a hobby I found like a really lovely community online, people who similarly were trying to go vegan or trying to declutter their lives. I made lots of videos about minimalism. It kind of took off from there. It was kind of the start of my sort of minimalist journey in a way, because me quitting my job and moving back home was such a bold move at that time. And it was me decluttering such a big part of my life and realizing I'm not happy and I'm not doing what... I envisaged doing. I went traveling for a bit. I moved out from my parents and then me and my partner decided to give it all a go, just working together online and making YouTube videos, making recipes and the rest is kind of history. And yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun and it it worked out in the end. It did. So it's about being slightly entrepreneurial, but also finding ways to make your passion work for you as something that you can actually live on as well. Yeah. In the early days, it was writing my ebooks and sharing my recipes that kept me going because my audience really enjoyed me making those recipes and wanted to have like a book for them to see all of them in one place. And I look back at that, that time when I first started YouTube and creating those recipes and it's kind of great that I actually went for it because it kept me going. <laughs> it is. It's, I, I feel as though it's a really brave thing to do. 
And I was speaking to somebody recently who quit university and decided to just start their own business. And I said something similar to them. And they said, actually, it wasn't the bravest thing to do. It was the only thing I could do because I knew that it was a better alternative than to feel like I was slowly dying in the job that I had envisioned for myself. So in a way, it was the least brave thing to do because I knew I couldn't live that way. But I think still that it's a very brave thing to do. So I'm really glad that you have that same kind of ethos that you Mm -hmm. just kind of strip back everything and decided, right, this is what's important to me and I'm just going to go for it. Yeah, no, that's very insightful. It's very like wise thing to say, I think, because it is true when you're struggling and you're not happy. If you carried on doing that, you just run yourself into the ground. So you do have to make the decision to change the path you're on and do what actually makes you happy in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And at the time you were living with your sister and your boyfriend in a flat. Yes. What what did they think about all of this? It was coming up to the time when our uh, lease was ending and my sister, I think maybe she was moving in with her, her now husband. It was kind of a little bit of a crossroads in that sense. So it forced us to figure out what we're going to do. It kind of made sense for me. I just thought, why would I get a new flat or try carrying on in this job, in this career? Because I was doing marketing and I never envisaged doing that. It just, I feel like it just made sense to kind of just retreat, go back to my parents and just figure things out from there rather than keep struggling. Yeah, totally. And so with that move came, as you pointed out, minimalism in and of itself, because you'd had to strip back all the things that you were building and striving for in that life. What does low impact living and minimalism mean to you in general? Does it have like a very broad definition or how would you define it? I think over the years, my definition of minimalism and low impact living has changed quite a lot because at the start, I saw it as quite the stereotypical, you have to own nothing, you have to strip everything back. I saw lots of people online traveling the world, just a backpack, being a digital nomad and I aspired towards that and really wanted to cut back just to like 30 items of clothing and not have any excess things. And same when it came to low impact living and sustainability, I wanted to be perfect with it. And over the years, I've changed my kind of view of minimalism and sustainability in that it's far more about finding a balance than it is about being perfect. And minimalism is more about trying to figure out what actually makes you happy in your life and being conscious of all of your decisions. It could be as simple as being conscious about a purchase you're making or being conscious about your day-to-day life, um, the people you're spending it with, the habits you have, and not beating yourself up if if you're not perfect. And I hope that minimalism and sustainability is moving towards that approach rather than the kind of more extreme version of it that I think that we saw years ago when it first kind of became a thing. To me nowadays, I have I have such a more balanced approach and more gentle approach to minimalism and sustainability, which makes my life a lot easier and makes me a lot happier. Thank you, Madeline. I can definitely see a lot of parallels in that in many aspects of life. And when it comes to diet and nutrition, when it comes to exercise, when it comes to relationships, like striving for perfection can actually feel exhausting and demoralizing. Whereas striving towards conscious decision-making can make you feel as though you're living with purpose, whatever you're doing, whatever choice you're making, if you are making that choice consciously with an awareness that you want to also live a life that makes you happy, Mm -hmm. that is 
a lovely way of looking at minimalism. If you try and copy other people too much, you lose yourself. And I think I definitely did that. It's fine at the start to be inspired by others and think there's this inspirational person that I really would love to, you know, have a similar life to. But in the process of doing that, you can lose yourself a little bit. And I definitely think I did where I was kind of copying other people and thinking that was the goal. When in reality, there's things that I actually do love that I was kind of shutting off. Like, for example, me cutting back my wardrobe to a point where I just had like the most boring clothes when actually I quite like fashion. I quite like floaty patterned dresses (laughs) and there's nothing wrong with that. That that brings me joy. So So do I. Yeah. (laughs) So you don't have to have, I don't know, a wardrobe where you're just wearing white tops and you know black shorts or these plain outfits you don't have to have a home that's only got white painted walls and no things in it you can have a balance that works for you and makes you happy yeah I like that and it sort of ties in with one of our previous episodes with Kat Farmer because she loves fashion she's all about fashion Um, but she talked about how fashion can be a way of expressing self-love like you don't have to buy cheap disposable clothes uh, that are the new trend. You just have to consciously decide on the clothes that you feel really bring you joy and look after those clothes and find ways to incorporate those clothes in different ways in your wardrobe. And that doesn't have to be fast fashion. That's just fashion that makes you feel as though you're embodying more of who you are. I see that in what you're saying too about minimalism. It's the, it's the same principle, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Minimalism definitely started for me because I was such a shopaholic. I had such a issue with over shopping, fast fashion, following trends, buying cheap clothes and trying to fit in and trying to sort of copy and keep up. It was just unhealthy. I was just running out of money and not liking my clothes even, not feeling comfortable in myself. And now, because I shop consciously, I get so much enjoyment from my clothes. I feel like what you said, it's it's like you're expressing yourself. It's self-love. It's it's fun. The clothes I buy, I buy with the intention of keeping them for a very, very long time. That's a much more sustainable, much more conscious minimalist approach to shopping. Yeah. And again, it's about that decision to go within and think, do I really like this thing? Is this Mm -hmm. thing going to bring me joy for years to come? Yeah. Or am I just following a trend? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I still want this thing in three months, in six months, in five years. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a really good way of looking at it. And I guess that benefits our well-being too, because again, that conscious decision-making allows us to be more in alignment with who we feel we are. Mm -hmm. You definitely do, because you you feel closer to yourself because you're actually doing what you want to do rather than just doing what you think you're supposed to do. Yeah. So did this involve a big change in mindset for you? Do you think that, that we need to sort of adopt a specific kind of mindset to be able to embrace sort of minimalism and make it a habit in our lives? Yeah, definitely. My mindset's changed so much because I didn't really think about it before. I think I was just wrapped up in following trends, copying other people, looking in magazines. Even at university, I think that I had such a difficult time because I was looking at what other girls were wearing and thinking, why can't I afford those outfits or those designer bags? Or why don't I fit in? And I think it was a deeper issue that I was projecting. I was looking at what other people were doing and seeing seeing their success and thinking, why have I not got that? When in reality, 
I was trying to chase something that wasn't even attainable. Whereas when when you have a more minimalist approach to life, your mindset is more about focusing what you do have or what what you actually know makes you happy and what you know is right for you. And it's more about sort of looking inwards than looking outwards. So your mindset about everything in life changes because you're so much more thoughtful. And sometimes that can become stressful. <laughs> like I definitely have had those periods where I'm thinking too much about everything and overthinking about everything in in my life. But if you actually apply it and you have that mindset over, over the years, it becomes second nature. Yeah. I, I like the way that you describe that because it brings you back to the idea of, of looking within. It's human nature, especially as a child and then as an adolescent, we are always looking around us to either confirm or reject ideas about who we are and who we are in relation to the world. And that's part of growing up. But then especially as as we go through adolescence and in our 20s, in a way that's almost heightened by the expectations that we put upon ourselves based on what we see online. And you mentioned the people that were around you, social groups, social circles, you know, it's, it's so important to us to fit in, to feel as though, you know, we're not outcasts or outsiders or, you know, suffer from loneliness because we're too different. And in order to truly know ourselves and begin to feel more comfortable with ourselves, you know, we have to look within. And then those comparisons, they sort of melt away a little bit, don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you you discover yourself, discover who you are, what you like, what you need, and you're focusing on that all the time. It becomes a lot clearer because you're actually in tune with your intuition. And then you're also able to give more to others, ironically. Yeah. Yeah, if you're yeah. if you're looking within, it actually makes it much easier to give without because you d- you can then give without expectation. You can you feel as though what you're giving is completely within the realms of what you feel you can give, and you know you just feel a lot more centered. So I love that. Mm-hmm. I think that's really a lovely way of looking at it. And um, I also love that you mentioned that you know you have to find that balance again. You talked about balance earlier, where if you are constantly thinking and then thinking again and then double checking and then (laughs) triple checking (laughs) you can find yourself going around in circles so it's nice to just sit with it and you know and then Mm -hmm. make a choice and and go with it perhaps yeah so let's talk about ways that we can make this practical for people because I'm sure that this is resonating with people who are listening where do we even start with with sustainable swaps or thinking about minimalism how do we even begin beginning this kind of thing don't put pressure on yourself because I definitely did that. I would, I'm an all or nothing person. I was like, I'm going vegan overnight. I'm suddenly now a minimalist. I'm going to declutter everything. And while that is good in some ways, it can become a bit much. And then you put a lot of pressure on your shoulders and then you kind of make a mistake. And then you're like, oh, I made a mistake. That's it. I'm going to give it up. So make it sustainable in the sense of actually look at what will work for you. Because If you're someone who works in fashion and you love dressing up and wearing lots of different clothes, decluttering your whole wardrobe, maybe that's not sensible for you in that moment. Maybe there are other areas of your life. Maybe not where you start. You can start with something else. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There are probably other things that you could declutter that are necessary. Same with sustainability. You may notice, you probably already know that there's something that you could work on. And you can start there. Maybe it's because you very regularly cook from scratch and you're always buying, you know, prepackaged food out. And you could change that by thinking, I'm going to set myself a goal to try and cook one meal every day at home and do it bit by bit. 
if you wanted to introduce more plant-based foods, that could be the same thing. You could try and introduce one a day, one meal a day that's plant-based. Or with minimalism, you could think, is there something that I can declutter just bit by bit? Maybe it's literally just a drawer in my house or a cupboard or an item of clothing or something that has been bothering you and start from there because it becomes quite addictive and it becomes really fun and it becomes a bit of a project. And I actually really enjoy that beginner phase of doing stuff like this because it's very satisfying because there's lots of there's lots of things you can do. There's lots of ways of approaching it. Yeah, just start small and don't put pressure on yourself, especially if you mess up because everyone does. I like that. I think it's sensible to start small and work your way up. I mean, I think for some people it can feel quite overwhelming. I mean, I'm the kind of person, maybe not so much as other members of my family, but I am somebody that tends to hoard. I find it really hard to let go of things that have even the minutest emotional significance. <laughs> so, yeah. But I know that it would make me feel better if I was to get rid of some of that stuff Mm -hmm. because, you know, it weighs you down after a while if you keep looking at bits that are gathering dust. Do you have any tips for somebody like me who is naturally a bit more of a hoarder? Because I think that my home is generally, I look around and I see, you know, it's fairly minimalist from my perspective. My husband thinks it's full of clutter. So we've both got quite different perspectives on what clutter is, but I know that naturally I am a hoarder. What would you say to me to try and help me, you know, let go of things that no longer serve me? (laughs) Well, a tip that's really helpful is to go through some of the things that you're like, I'm not sure about keeping these. I probably should be getting rid of them, but I'm not ready to let go. Is to take them from where they are, put them in a box and put that box in the cupboard or in the attic for a set period of time, maybe three months, maybe six months, and then revisit that box after that time period has passed. You can then look in there and go, oh, I actually completely forgot about this thing. Why am I even keeping it? Because I completely forgot about it or this other thing that I thought I might use, I haven't even used it. And it kind of gives you a new perspective to realise actually a lot of these things I don't need, I haven't reached for, I haven't missed them. And it makes it easier to then get rid of them. Or there might be something in there that you think, oh, I actually really did miss this and I wanted to use it, I'm going to keep it. So it's like a step out the door. (laughs) Yeah, a little baby step. So it gives you that little stepping stone, yeah. (laughs) And I suppose the other side of that coin is, that it's quite useful sometimes to keep things because you never know when they might come in handy and then you don't <laughs> want to buy a new one, right? <laughs> that is true. There is there is an element of minimalism that kind of clashes with sustainability. Yes, there's a minimalism in clutter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll have to think about that. I have to make a conscious decision, yes. <laughs> as you say. <laughs> think about it after three months. What about things like beauty? Is there any kind of tips that you'd give around the topic of beauty and sustainability? I always like to go for brands that are openly vegan, cruelty-free, they're open about their sustainable practices. So they're recycling their packaging. Their packaging is made from recycled materials. Their packaging is, you know, not got as much going on. Um, Or there's lots of brands now that are doing like refills, which is really cool. And to not overdo it, I think... I even get a bit carried away because I love skincare so much. Mm. And I do get a bit carried away with all the different skincare products. But at the end of the day, you only need so many. But also, this is an area where balance comes in because I love skincare. It makes me very happy. And it's like my time to relax in the morning and the evening. So I'm not a minimalist when it comes to skincare because I enjoy it so much. Yeah, I think there there are definitely brands out there that you can look for that are championing sustainability and just keep it keep it simple yeah keep it simple and again it's about making that conscious decision like yeah how many facial oils and serums do I currently have in my bathroom yeah I have too many (laughs) 
All right. So we've talked about conscious decision-making around beauty products, finding things that bring you joy and getting the balance between doing that and making sure that you don't overdo it. Have you got any other simple tips towards sustainable living that you can share? One that I always like to suggest to people is composting, because I feel like it's something that people don't think about enough. And lots of people think, oh, I can't do that. I've not got a garden or I can't do that because of this. And it's actually something that makes a huge difference. So if you're currently putting your food in your bin, I'd really recommend you look into composting. If you do have a garden, you can get a compost bin and you can put it in your compost bin outside. Or if you don't, when I used to live in a flat and I didn't have a garden, I contacted my council. They said, we don't do food collection. So there are options where you can donate it to a garden. So we actually ended up taking our compost every week to this garden that uh, is like a park they took composting donations. You can also get compost bins for your house. You can get like wormeries. So like little worms will break the food down. You can get like a bokashi system. I think that's what it's called, where it it breaks the food down for you. Because if you put it into your bin, it just goes to landfill where it can't break down and produces methane, which is a greenhouse gas, which is very harmful. Whereas if you're putting it in a compost bin, it won't create methane because it actually is able to break down and instead it will create carbon dioxide and that's part of the carbon cycle. So it's something that can make a massive difference. Also, you're not going to have to put your bins out as much. Your bin's going to be a lot lighter. And it's a swap that I think more of us could do if we actually put effort into doing it. And it makes a big difference. Thank you. That's great. I compost. Yay. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) But then to be honest, I have to say it's also about systems being easier. Like you mm-hmm. say, so, some councils don't, you know, they, they don't offer composting. My council no. does. So I've got a small compost bin right next to my sink that I can just chuck stuff in. And then I, and then I chuck it right outside uh, in this sort of slightly bigger compost that they collect every, every week. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it much easier for me. I've also got a big compost bin in my garden. So any excess, which we use, I just sort of chuck it in that one and, you know, it's, it's fine. It's, it's mm-hmm. really a great way of reducing, as you say, greenhouse gases. But systems are so tricky, aren't they? Because it shouldn't have to be difficult, should it? No. There are some people that it's extremely easy to live a sustainable life, live a zero waste life and do that for a very long time. And there are some people where it will be virtually impossible for many reasons. And it's not up to me or anyone else to judge that or look at that and think they're not good enough or they're not doing enough. Because my approach now is at the end of the day, the reality is what's happening to the planet, what's happening in the world, actually that doesn't lie on our shoulders as individuals. It goes so much deeper than that. It's about corporations, governments, fossil fuels, what's happening to the earth is so much bigger than us as individuals. And I don't ever want to encourage anyone to put pressure on their own shoulders to be perfect when, yes, it helps, but it's not it's not as important as maybe we once were emphasising because there's there's a lot more going on in the world that we don't actually have any control over and that happens when we don't want it to. So you can only do what you can do and that could be going vegan. It might not be going vegan. Maybe you actually, you can't go vegan for whatever reason. It could be composting, but maybe you're not able to do that. It could be trying to avoid plastic, but maybe in lots of circumstances that isn't possible either. And I actually have learned a lot of this just from my audience. When I've shared sustainable tips, when I've shared recipes, when I've talked about minimalism, I always get people telling me about their own experiences with it and how it's not accessible to them for this reason or that reason. 
and they actually can't do it for that reason. And so I try and come up with other options for them so that there are different avenues that they can take. And I think that we all need to remember that because if you're looking at someone else and thinking or reading a book and saying, this person's suggesting this, but I can't do it, that's going to make you feel like you're not good enough. And the reality is that you can't do it for whatever reason, but this person, it's much easier for them. So you just have to focus on what what you can do and empower yourself with that instead. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of eco-anxiety out there, especially in the younger generation, because they see the climate emergency and they read the science and they're not stupid. They look at the maths and they think, well, you know, where does this leave us? And they start to get really anxious about the situation. Advice like yours, which is just literally to focus on conscious decisions, what brings you joy, what you can do, where you're at right now, and let go of the rest is a tremendously important piece because you know, we can't put it upon ourselves to do every little thing. You yeah. can't because you'll just run yourself into the ground. I've been there. <laughs> you've been there. You've done that. And you're sharing yeah. your wisdom with us. So thank you. <laughs> All right. So, you know, that prayer, is it St. Francis of Assisi? He was um, patron saint of animals. And he said that famous prayer, gosh, I hope I don't get it wrong. Lord, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, that's beautiful. I got it right. That's the prayer. And it's basically what you just said. Um, But Mm -hmm. St. Francis of Assisi, he was very wise. He said it too. If you hundred years ago. So yeah, it's definitely something for us all to reflect on. So with that in mind, as David Attenborough tells us, plant-based living is one of the main things that we can do as individuals to help improve our sustainability and our environmental footprint. So let's talk a bit more about that because I was looking at some of your recipes online last night and I was absolutely drooling. They look incredible. Have you got any top tips for us in terms of eating uh, in a more plant-based way? I always like to recommend that people find a recipe that they love. Could be spaghetti bolognese, could be a curry, and try and find a plant-based version for it because then you're still eating something that you enjoy rather than suddenly going into just having, I don't know, a kale smoothie or a salad that you don't really enjoy because that's not that's not what you like. That's not what you're usually eating. And it makes it a lot easier if you have a recipe in your repertoire that you can, you know, whip out during the week that you know that you enjoy and you know that you love. So start there, find a great recipe, test it out and just learn how to cook with plants. Because when I went vegan, I think a lot of it and a lot of the fun of it was trying to learn how to cook with so many vegetables and so many legumes and beans and adapting how I'd learned how to cook when I was younger it was actually really fun. And I feel like I was actually cooking a far wider variety of foods than I was before and got a lot more creative with it. So learn some new recipes and make sure they're ones that you already know and you enjoy and then expand from there. Yeah. I often tell people the same thing. Think about the foods that you regularly cook and and enjoy and see if there's ways to add more plants to them, Um, Mm. which is just a really, it's a really helpful way of looking at it because especially if you've got kids, you know, they're not going to, I can't just make a salad for dinner because they'll be like, well, what's this? (laughs) They'll turn their noses up at it. Whereas if I include salad as part of a, you know, as part of a mac and cheese that they absolutely love and I'm doing it in a healthy way, it feels like such a treat. It's so indulgent and delicious, but it's also something completely plant-based and I know it's going to do their guts good and you know the planet good. So yeah, it's a lovely win, I think, to do it that yeah. way. You can also just shove vegetables into meals, like grate some carrot in there or courgette in there and you won't taste it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. I, that's my little secret as well, especially with my youngest and my oldest child. He says he doesn't like mushrooms, but when I blend them into a ragu, he adores them. So, <laughs> do you know, I do this with my partner, Alex, who's vegan as well, but he hates vegetables. So sometimes I'll just like great extra veg in there and he doesn't even know. <laughs> well, the secret's out. If you listen to this podcast, let me tell you. <laughs> Lovely. So you think let's cook things that we already know and love and add more veggies to them, either secretly or uh, intentionally. Have you got any kind of favourite recipes that you think are a real winner in your house with you and Alex? The things that I always cook every week is stir fries and curries. That's just my like preference. I just absolutely love spicy food. So I always cook a curry. Last night we had uh, butternut squash and tofu curry. It's so easy to make that kind of a curry because you just whack a butternut squash, chop it up in the oven, lots of spices, chopped tomatoes, tofu, have it with rice and it's delicious and it's very filling. And I always make enough for leftovers. And same goes for stir fries. Stir fries you can make so easily with the vegetables that you have that week in the fridge and serve them with noodles or rice. And it's just very quick, very easy, and it's full of plant-based goodness. Um, And would you say, I mean, so you've mentioned tofu. I love tofu. Have you got any tips for how people can start to use tofu? Because I've got patients who, when I talk about tofu, they think, what? And then I know. Tempeh, they say, what's that? And then they go to the supermarket and they really struggle because they've just got this kind of slimy white slab. And they think, what do I, I think? Do? Yeah, lots of people are a bit adverse to tofu, but I love tofu. Like I eat tofu every day, basically. The key to tofu is getting extra firm tofu. That means it's got less water in it. So if you get tofu and it's quite watery when you take it out of the package, Make sure to press it. You can literally just press it in between uh, some chopping boards, wrap it in a tea towel, and it will should get rid of a lot of the water. I've actually got a tofu press that does this for you, which is quite handy. And that means when you cook it, it's going to absorb a lot of the flavour. And a good way to start making tofu is to make a marinade. So chop up the tofu, make sure you pressed it so some of the water's come out. Marinate it in soy sauce, ginger, garlic, some spice. Put that in the fridge for like an hour and then fry it until it's golden. So it actually gets crispy and flavorful rather than chucking it into a curry and then it's kind of watery and it falls apart. That's when I think people don't enjoy it as much. But I do have actually a recipe for sweet and sticky tofu that I've shared with lots of people who don't like tofu. And they're like, okay, actually, this is really good. I actually saw that. I saw that that tofu recipe on your Instagram and I saved it. (laughs) (laughs) It's very easy and it tastes nice. And you've got to learn how how to work with tofu. But I promise you, it is so delicious. I've always liked tofu. It's worth it, everyone. Give it a whirl. And it's so high in protein. Yeah, exactly. It's got all essential amino acids, well, at least all mm-hmm. that you can't get from other places. Right. So what about legumes? Tell me, what's your favourite dish to make with, should we say lentils? Have you got a favourite lentil dish other than curry? Well, I was going to say dal, and that's like a curry. But if it's not curry, then lentil ragu, so like a spaghetti bolognese, but oh, instead of that. mince, lentils. Mm, I love that. It's very tasty. Okay. What about chickpeas? What's your favourite thing to do with chickpeas? You can make hummus. I've actually got a chickpea tuna recipe. Chickpea tuna. Fantastic. Yeah. Which lots of people on TikTok got angry with me about this. <laughs> That's not tuna. <laughs> That's chickpeas. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just say tuna chickpeas. <laughs> yeah. But it is very yummy. And actually my sister who isn't vegan, she loves it and she has it and has it as an alternative sometimes because it has, it doesn't taste like tuna, obviously it's chickpeas, but it has that feeling and that texture of like a, a tuna sandwich, which yeah, 
Yeah, it works. I've had an idea. I don't know if this is completely out there, but I've got algae oil capsules that I take daily um, mm-hmm. for my EPA and, and DHA uh, omega-3s. And could you not squeeze the contents of one of those capsules, like the little bit of liquid, into your chickpea mix to make it taste fishy? Maybe. I don't know if those capsules taste fishy, though. That's the only thing. They do. They do, do they? Oh, okay, yeah. then, yeah, you could. Or you could add nori in there that tastes like you know seaweed yeah you can add some nori sheets but that might not go that might not filter through and seep in in the same way <laughs> the reason i'm saying this is because my youngest son he likes to suck them out he likes to suck the capsules and then he'll spit out the capsules <laughs> <laughs> and so i've i've tasted it and it's it's very fishy anyway something to think about for your next yeah. idea yeah <laughs> okay so we've talked about tofu and legumes Let's think about things like, because there's a lot of people that are out there who won't necessarily be that familiar with, with cooking in a vegan way. And they, they'll yeah. perhaps ask you, well, what, what about egg? And do you have like an egg swap or a milk swap that you'd recommend? Um, so for eggs, if you're cooking eggs like fried eggs, scrambled eggs, I'd make scrambled tofu. I had that a couple of days ago. You just fry up tofu, you crumble it. And this is when getting tofu that's watery is actually good. So you don't need to press this because that helps it have that eggy texture. And you can get something called black salt, which has that eggy flavour to it. So you can sprinkle a bit of that in there. A little bit of turmeric gives it that yellow colour. So that's a really good alternative. Uh, For baking, I usually do chia eggs or flax eggs, which is basically just chia seeds or flax seeds mixed with water. And then you let it to set in the fridge and it creates a jelly texture, which helps to bind whatever it is that you're baking. That's a really good tip. Thank you. And your favourite plant milk? I love oat milk for coffee and just unsweetened soy for tea because I find it's the most neutral Mm. tasting. I'm the same, actually. (laughs) Yeah. And coconut (laughs) milk is lovely too. That's got a nice sweetness to it. Yeah, I like a coconut milk turmeric latte sometimes. It feels really indulgent and delicious. Mm. All right. So let's talk about, I think you've described yourself as sort of an intuitive vegan. What does that mean to you? in terms of how you eat? I have a history of an eating disorder. So when I recovered from my eating disorder and I was trying to let go of all of those rules and ideas in my head I had about food, the most natural thing for me was to try to eat more intuitively and stop calorie counting and stop adding up the food I was having and instead just try and eat what I was craving and listened to my hunger cues. And it's actually a very difficult thing to do to begin with. And for me, I found it quite challenging at times. But over the years now, I know what my body needs. and I know what foods work with my body because I'm actually listening to it. I'm not ignoring the signals. I'm not pushing them away. I'm not avoiding or sort of trying to follow a diet that makes sense for someone else, but doesn't make sense for me. And it's just ended up being something that's very natural to me now. So I would say though, it it can be difficult sometimes with intuitive eating. If you are anxious or if you're stressed, like that's the only time that I struggle because those times are when, when you need a backup plan. So I do eat intuitively day to day, but if I'm having a day where I'm like not feeling 100%, then I've got my meals that I always know make me feel good and I stick to those. Or I have my snacks in the fridge or in the cupboards that I know that I'm going to enjoy or that are going to fuel me when I'm not feeling like I've got an appetite or when I'm feeling a certain way. So it's kind of about learning what works for you, kind of similarly to what I've said and finding that about minimalism, finding that balance 
for you instead of copying other people. Yeah, finding the balance between understanding, okay, well, if I'm stressed or anxious today, I will tend to either undereat or overeat. So at least I have my comfort and nutritious foods that I enjoy and I can just Mm -hmm. kind of rely on those today. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's a nice way of looking at it. I think you've sort of really encapsulated a lot in this chat about what it means to be kind to yourself and your body, as well as the planet, as well as your concept of what minimalism means or sustainability means. And it all fits so nicely because, you know, the fact that you're embracing veganism, that's kind to animals, it's kind to the planet, but it's also kind to yourself because you are eating in a way that you enjoy and that brings you joy rather than thinking, oh, I've got to eat this X, Y, and Z thing because somebody said I should you know, chug back on apple cider vinegar or, you know, whatever it is that people, like the, the newest wellness trend. So I really like that, that you've sort of used those principles of kindness in many different aspects of your life. Yes. So let's go on about, about your life a little bit more as we're rounding up and thinking about your own routines. You said that you will eat intuitively and you'll be aware of, of when things are you know, not so settled in your mind and, and how to approach that. Do you have a wellness routine day to day that helps to keep you in balance? My routine day to day is basically the same, but I definitely allow myself to have a bit of flexibility. But I pretty much go to the gym most days because I have anxiety and I'm high energy and I need like somewhere to expel that energy. It's the one thing that really I know always helps me and makes me feel better. It's just a really positive place for me. So I always go to the gym and walk my dog Roxy and get outside. Getting outside is so important for me. And the days that I don't do that, because sometimes I don't and Alex will walk her instead, I don't feel as good. So it really makes a big difference. I try and wake up early and go to bed early because that always makes me feel better. I'm more of a morning person than a night owl. And I always like to have a really relaxing evening routine where I do my skincare, I get into bed, I leave my phone downstairs. That is a game changer, honestly. And I'll watch Love Island or (laughs) watch a YouTube video and just have a really relaxing time in my day because Otherwise, it's just go, go, go. And then you're going to bed and it's the next day. I just, I try and have that time to myself where I light a candle. I'll spritz my pillow with a pillow mist and just really zone out and have a relaxing time in the evening. It's good to hear that, that, um, you know, you don't have to be completely pious and, uh, you know, with your minimalist lifestyle, you can't just go and, you know, veg and enjoy a little bit of Love Island from time to time. Yeah, (laughs) I think that's very important. (laughs) (laughs) Is there one thing that you have to do every day to make you feel like you, or is it just, is it more flexible than that for you? It's definitely more flexible. I think I feel like if I had to do one thing, it would be exercise, but also there are loads of days that I don't. So it doesn't, it's it's very flexible because it's just as important to get up and go to the gym as it is to have a day where you're like, I'm really tired and I want to just have a lie in and just read a book instead. I do that all the time. So I think it's having a balanced and again, just that approach where you're just not all or nothing because I've worked on that for years as someone who is a perfectionist, I have an all or nothing attitude forcing myself to not think that way is the most important thing for me, where I allow myself to have a break. I allow myself to break a routine and just do what feels natural for me that day. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's very self-aware because a lot of the people I have on the podcast, I'll ask about, you know, sort of wellness, daily sort of must-dos. And 
you're right. I think if you if you have too rigid a framework around it, it can leave you feeling a bit trapped if you haven't done X, Y, Z that day or if you don't feel like doing whatever it is. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's nice to have that flexibility in it as well. Mm-hmm. Is there a specific thing that you've done recently to change your wellness or help you feel good that you'd want to share with the listeners? Recently, I had a little bit of a, a dip with my mental health. My anxiety came back. I deal with a lot of health anxiety and I sought therapy. I was seeing a therapist before and it was going really well and I'd stopped seeing her because I was feeling really great and I had a bit of a lapse and instead of me just kind of going, oh, I'm going to deal with this on my own or I'm going to push it aside, I actually reached out to the therapist and, and said, I'm having a bit of a lapse, I'm feeling quite stressed. Can I see you again? Because we hadn't been set to see each other for like another couple months as like a check-in. And I think that was a really important moment for me to realise that it's okay to have a lapse. If you're feeling, if you've had poor mental health and you've gone through a time where you've struggled and you've overcome it, and then a few months later, you kind of dip back into that feeling, that's totally normal. And there's usually a reason and that's just life. And instead of going, oh, this is so annoying that I'm I'm feeling this way again, actually seeking help, speaking to people and realizing what's going on and, and trying to help yourself with that is important. And mental health it is like the number one thing. It comes above everything. It's my motivation for everything. So yeah, I was proud of myself for that, for actually going back and, and speaking to her again and realizing what was happening to me and yeah, trying to seek help. Yeah. Thank you, Madeline. It's true. I think we can easily beat ourselves up if we feel as though we're going down the same old road that we struggled before. In a way, I think it's perhaps intrinsic to that personality of, of wanting to strive for perfection. It's the idea of thinking, oh, well, why am I feeling like this again? You know, And then that negative self-talk can creep in, can't it? Yeah, because then you beat yourself up because you're like, oh, I, I've already gone through therapy and I was feeling really good. Why am I not feeling good now? And there's mm. sometimes there's no reason. That's just It just sometimes happens that way. And you have to just let it go. And to be aware enough to understand that it's okay to ask for help. And in fact, it's brave to ask for help, but also often necessary because mm-hmm. you, can, you can go around in circles in your own head and things can feel so much worse as well unless you're able to actually share them or write them down or let go of any of that negative self-talk around the way that we feel because our emotions come and go like waves of the ocean. It's impossible to try to suppress those waves. That's never going to be able to happen. But if you can sort of lift your mental health generally to a point where you feel you've got that really strong foundation or that really strong boat, I suppose, that is able to weather those storms easily, then that's what we're really aiming for. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's incredible what it can do just speaking what's going on in your head and having someone else go, I've heard what you said and here's maybe what I'm hearing. The perspective that can give you is incredible. And I don't think we think about that enough. We just bury it all in our heads and don't talk about it. And only when we do, we realise, wow, like I feel so much better just actually saying it out loud and someone piecing it together for me a little bit. Yeah. And that's what I've noticed as well in my clinical practice. So long my patients wait before they come to me sometimes. And the relief I see on their faces when they, when they actually finally say, look, I need some help and this is why and this is what's been going on. I think that can in itself be extremely therapeutic. So mm. thank you for sharing that. And for those who, who may not have the resources to pay for private counselling, you know, do seek help from your own GP and from other online resources that your GP can share with you because 
uh, reaching out and sharing these things does relieve the burden. Definitely. Oh, thank you, Madeline. That has been such a refreshing, open, vibrant conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I know that our listeners will get an awful lot out of it. I really appreciate your time with me today. What would be the best way for people to let you know how much they enjoyed the conversation or share ideas and thoughts with you from this point? You can find me on YouTube at Madeline Olivia, same on Instagram, TikTok now. <laughs> so yeah, you can send me a message or comment and yeah, I'd love to chat more. It's been really, really fun. So thank you so much for having me my pleasure and enjoy the rest of this beautiful day yes thank you you too (laughs) well what did you think about that conversation with madeline olivia i found her to be really refreshing honest open and just such a lovely person i think for many of us you know we go through different struggles in life that bring us on the journey that we have and for her to be able to share some of her insights into veganism sustainability minimalism with so many people and in so doing inspire millions along the way brings me a lot of hope for the future so I thoroughly enjoyed it and I hope that you got something good out of that conversation as well I'd encourage you to check out other relevant conversations such as the one that we recently had with Kat Farmer on sustainable fashion as well as the conversation that we had with Johnny Wilkinson on finding more meaning within and being able to understand yourself before you begin to understand the journey that you want to take in the world. So have a listen to those and remember that you can check out all previous episodes of the Wellness Edit podcast on your favourite podcast platform. And I would really love for you to join me again next time where we'll be talking to another wonderful guest about how to fit wellness into your day. Thank you so much and I'll see you again next time. All views are those of our guests and not Holland and Barrett unless explicitly stated otherwise. Any reference to brands and or products should not be considered as an endorsement.